I want you to stand with me, if you would, please, one more time today. We're starting a new series. Just so excited about this. You should have received a copy uh, of the message notes when you came in. It's called Principle of the Path. As we start today, the title of our message is called Where Are You Headed? It's asking a question, Where Are You Headed? And so as we jump in today, our text is found in the Old Testament prophetic book of Micah. He prophesied about the same time that Isaiah did, okay? So he's a contemporary to a major prophet. And as a matter of fact, what you're about to see on the text in Micah chapter 4, these exact words appear also in Isaiah chapter 2. Our our text is Micah chapter 4 verse 2. So I'd like if you would please, this is the series text we're going to be using through this whole principle of the path. And uh, I want you to go ahead and and let's read this together, and then I'm going to tell you a little little bit about it, okay? Here we go. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Everybody say paths. That last phrase, say it with me. Walk in his paths. Say it. Walk in his paths. Last verse, here we go. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now let me just tell you something really quickly before we pray and I'll let you sit back down. This sort of comes in a break. I left out verse 1 in reading it so we could just save a little bit of time. But it basically says in the last days, I'm going to establish the mountain of the Lord's house in the top of all the other mountains. Now we're not talking about a literal mountain here. Mountains in Scripture always speak of kingdoms. Okay, And when it says the Lord's house will be established, in other words, atop of and leading all of the other kingdoms of the world, so to speak. This was fulfilled when Jesus walked into Jerusalem and lived before the people the process of what we could call how God became king. That's how N.T. Wright says it, and I love that. Uh, The gospel is the announcement, it's the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord right now. He is the king right now. And it's the invitation for all of us to join in Him, follow Him, begin to track in His footsteps with Him in this whole new alternate lifestyle called the kingdom of God that is the present reality. So we're talking about the path that the Lord has chosen for us. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father, thank You for this opportunity this morning as we gather in this place today. We pray for the strength of God to be upon Your people. There are people that are here this morning that are that are sick and that are not feeling well and that are struggling. God, I pray that the Comforter of the Holy Spirit would do what only He can do. And in addition to that, I just acknowledge right now that before you and everyone listening that I I am utterly dependent upon you, O God. I can do nothing apart from you, but I'm thankful today that I'm not apart from you, that through you, in you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And even as we sang this morning, through you, nothing will be impossible. God, I ask you today that you open the hearts of men and women, you transform lives, you save souls, you change your minds, you renew us to be all that you've called us to be. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So this Micah passage literally is a prophetic scripture pointing to the coming kingdom of God and the inauguration that occurs When Jesus comes and walks into Jerusalem, into the temple, the law of the Lord will go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That happened 2,000 years ago. We're not waiting on some last days. Literally in the scripture, many times in the Old Testament, when it says in the last days, it's not talking about the the last days of of the earth. It's talking about the last days of the old covenant age where God closes the door 
to a whole sacrificial system that was merely a natural picture of what God was going to bring in spiritual fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who would become the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So the latter days that we're talking about are the latter days of the Old Covenant. When Jesus comes, He inaugurates a new heavens and a new earth. The kingdom is now available. It's at hand. It's within your grasp. He gives us an opportunity to walk with Him in a whole new alternate kind of lifestyle called the kingdom of God. Now, how, how, how can I just stop and break this down this morning in terms of our lives, in terms of where are we headed? Everybody in this room is, is going in some direction in life. Uh, you may have just stumbled in by means of someone inviting you to come. You may have seen a sign on, on 77 or on Broadway or one of our locations and checked the website and decided to, to, to drop in this morning. We're thrilled that you're here. If you're, if you're a first-time guest, we are so glad that you've come to be with us. There are a lot of great churches in West Memphis, Marion, that you could have chosen, and we're thankful that you've come to worship with us today. As we drop into our message text this morning, we're going to follow this idea of the path of the Lord. Come and He will teach us of His ways and we will learn to walk in His paths. For the law will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's a hearkening back to when God gave the law at a mountain previously. It's going to bring up remembrance in the hearts of faithful Hebrews, Israelites, who remember that God gave the law through the covenant head Moses, who was their deliverer after he'd brought them out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness in Exodus 19 and, and God gives this amazing uh, law that he says, this is the way now, you're already a people blood-bought, water-washed, spirit-baptized because they came out of Egypt with the blood over the doorpost. They came through the baptism of water in the Red Sea, baptized into Moses, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. And they breathed in the cloud that led them, the cloud by day, the fire by night. So that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit right there. They've got every same element we have. Theirs was in a natural picture. Ours is in the spiritual fulfillment, the reality of the real thing. Ours is not natural blood over a doorpost. Ours is the blood of Christ on the doorpost of our heart. Ours is not baptism into, a, into the Red Sea. Ours is the water baptism of laying down the old life of the dead man and being raised in newness of life after the image of Christ. Ours is being able to breathe in the, the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us. Somebody say amen this morning. Now, as we look to Deuteronomy, I want you to see today that this principle of the path was operating low these many years ago among the, the faithful Hebrews. Now, Listen at this, this particular section of Deuteronomy chapter 1. And actually, I have sort of cut snippets. And you can go back and check it in your text. I'm not being unfaithful to the text by putting in the little ellipses. It's a lot of geographical uh, locator type stuff that's telling us where there are specifically headed to the promised land. In order to save some time, I cut out what I felt like was not necessary for the message today. And so you'll see that. Uh, you're seated, but I want you to read out loud with me one more time, if you would, please. Come on, here we go. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. Stop right there. Now, this is Deuteronomy. So when it says beyond the Jordan, they're talking about on the wilderness side of the Jordan. They have not yet gone in to possess the promised land. They're about to. Deuteronomy is Moses' attempt to get a new generation who've never been schooled in the law of the Lord ready to go in. The law never was give, given as an instrument to save. 
It was given as an instrument to people already saved as a tool of dominion to take the promised land. Now this is where religion has confused this. Never from the beginning was the law ever there for you to keep perfectly so that you could be saved because these people have already been blood-bought, water-washed, spirit-baptized. They're already in the covenant. Somebody say amen. So the law is given to them and it's supposed to show them this is the kind of society that I want you to build. This is, the, this is how you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and how you love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commandments that sum up all 613 other commandments of God's laws. Okay, And so he says we're on the other side, the, pre, the pre-promised land side. We, we're still on the wilderness side. Now look at this. How many days is it? It is, everybody say 11 days. It's 11 days journey from Horeb, where the law was given, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is the Hebrew name for the promised land. So we're talking about it's supposed to take them 11 days to get from where God gave them the law to prepare them to get to the promised land and and, and until they get there. Now, uh, look at this. 11, is it 11 days later when they got there? What was it? 40 years later. Oh my goodness. Have any of you ever decided to take a road trip and 40 years later you make your destination? I mean, that was a long path in the principle of the path right there. Now, you'll be reading some great stuff and some wonderful illustrations uh, in Andy Stanley's book, and I'm going to preach stuff outside of the book that I think will be supplemental. Sometimes you'll see and hear me refer to things that he's already shared. As you read through this book, it's going to be excellent and exciting and extremely practical. I read this book about three years ago, and I've been wanting to do it. I've been chomping at the bit to do it, and I just really felt through the summer that the Spirit of the Lord said, this is the time. So I'm excited about this because it's intensely practical in showing us how to make decisions uh, on the path that we're going. Okay? In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, read this part out loud with me in those single quotes. Here we go. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. Say it again. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. And he goes on to say, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, why is he doing this? He's reconnecting them to the promises of God that had been made to their forefathers, to their ancestors. It's showing them what you're about to do is going to be a fulfillment of what God promised your great-great-great-great-grandfather over 400 years ago. Now, you're about to see what they long for. You're going to walk in and experience it. Now, come on, somebody. I believe that some of you are sitting here tonight or today, this morning, because you had parents and grandparents that prayed for you, and you're going to experience some things that they long to see in your generation. Are you hearing that? Receive that by faith. So he says, The land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. And all of God's people said. Point number one as we're jumping into the the lake today to swim. Number one, we are all on a path. How many of you agree that we're all on a path? I, I always talk to my children growing up about the decisions that they made. 
one of the critical things that uh, is in this book is that no one decision is disconnected or disjointed from life. You can't just make any decision and it not have consequences because choices have consequences. And we must recognize that everyone in this room is on a path. I've told my children repeatedly, you graduate high school and you come back at your 10-year reunion and you're going to get a real quick glimpse of the paths that people have chosen to travel and walk on. And some of them will be paths of brokenness because of marriages that started in hope but that ended in divorce. Some are on paths of financial ruin because of the inability to be able to manage credit and deb uh, 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 debt and credit cards and all of those things that go with that, especially in our I, I believe it is just demonically inspired to the degree that we are a consumerist, materialistic culture that always has to have more in the latest model and the best top of the line and all those kinds of things. And it is completely contrary to the kingdom of God. You know, the, the, the whole culture in which we live is want what you don't have. And the kingdom of God is learn to be thankful and, and, and want what you already do have. And then learn to give when God says give. And then he'll pour out a blessing upon you that you don't even have room enough to contain. We're all on a path. We're all on a path. We're all making choices. We're heading in directions, some on good choices in our career paths where success is out in front of us. Obstacles will be encountered along the way. We all have an opportunity because there is this law that God instituted in from the very beginning of, of creation, and that's just this whole thing that we call trial and error. That doesn't sound very theological. You know, you learned it growing up. If at first you don't succeed, then what? That's a kingdom principle. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. When you take an action, you're going to see consequences of that action. If it doesn't net something that is beneficial or blessing, then you don't keep doing the same thing expecting different results. It is a worn-out cliche, but I'm still going to say it at this point in this message. It is, it is insanity for us to do the same things over and over and expect different results. If we keep doing what we've been doing, we will keep receiving what we've been receiving. We'll keep getting the same results that we've been getting. And so we're going to talk today about the path we're on. The scripture is clear. It is there are numerous multitudes of great scriptures about the path of the Lord. David said, show me your path, O God. Psalm 16, he said, uh, you have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Now, when you're on the path with the Lord, walking with God, I believe that we learn how to be led by the Spirit. Psalm 23, uh, it's a typo in your notes. It should say 23 verse 3, but it says 23 2. That's my fault, not Heather's. It's mine. Um, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Everybody say paths of righteousness. Okay, so paths of righteousness... Righteousness sounds like a really big, high-minded, theological, hundred-dollar term, but it really means where the justice of God is revealed, where, where God sets things right. He makes things right. He sets your heart right, and He puts you on a right path, and you begin to learn how to live out of that righteousness that has been given to you in Christ, imputed to you, not your own self-righteousness. All of mine and yours are as filthy rags, the Bible says. But as I learn to walk in the, the reckoned righteousness of God that has been given to me as a gift in Christ, then I learn to embrace uh, all that God has in front of me, recognizing that He's working all things together for my good because I love Him and because I am called according to His purpose. Amen? 
another great one that I encourage you, if you have never memorized, put it in your toolbox. Psalm 119, 105. The Bible says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A light unto my path. That's God's word. I don't know about you, but I don't have a Bible that has a light in the back of it. Like my iPhone, I can slide up the screen from the bottom and there's a little... Uh, option there to touch a flashlight and a very bright light will come on on the back of my phone, my iPhone. I, I don't have a Bible or a book that I can walk around with that will begin to light my path and the next steps that I take. We're not talking about a hyper-literal interpretation of that. It's talking about the Word of God in your heart will give you wisdom and understanding. It will illuminate the direction and the steps that you're supposed to be taking because we are all on a path. Say that with me. We are all on a path. Now, listen... Um, Robert Faust, 1960s, writes some poetry that is made famous in the uh, period of the Kennedy years, Camelot in America, the hope of a whole new generation. Robert writes the, word, the, the poem called The Road Not Taken. It's one of my favorites in, in poetry. He says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way. Say that phrase, way leads on to way. That's powerful. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. Last phrase, last little section. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the choices that we make in the paths that we take. Because the choices we make determine the paths we take. We're not talking literally in the sense of geography, but I do want to borrow from geography for a moment. In my second point today, every path has a determined destination. Say that with me. Every path has a determined destination. This, this is just common sense, and forgive me for the, the plainness of it. Um, if you want to go to Nashville, Tennessee, you don't get on I-55 going north. You can, with all of your heart, decide you're going to Nashville, and you can, ju you can just say, hey, man, I'm excited. I'm, we're going to be in Nashville in a few hours, and you get out here on I-55 going north, and you're looking at landmarks and you're seeing mile markers along the way on the path that you're traveling called the interstate or the highway. And uh, no matter how much you think you're headed to Nashville, you're probably in about four hours or so, four and a half hours, going to end up in St. Louis. <laughs> and, and, and that sounds silly, but this is what happens to people all the time who intend to end up in the destination of financial security, but they're making decisions along the path of continually leveraging their future by charging up more and more credit cards. There are people who intend to have a great marriage, but they continuously let the little foxes spoil the vines, and, and, and I don't want to be crude and chase that whole fox thing, 
But let me just tell you, if you're not dedicated completely to the one that the Lord has sewn your heart and knitted your heart to, and you're spending more time at work, and you're, you're devoting more time to all of your interests and your hobbies, there's going to come a time when she's going to say, you know what, I can't take this anymore. And there's not a man in this room who starts out on the road of marriage and intends to get to that spot. But decisions and choices made along the way put you on a path sometimes that you're just driving down aimlessly and don't even realize the direction that you're going in. Now, geographically, it's hard to think of that because it's so stupid when I say you can't go to Nashville by going I-50. Well, you can get to Nashville by going that way. Very similarly to how the children of Israel took an 11-day, what should have been an 11-day journey, and it took them 40 years to get there. And it was because of choices that the people made and decisions whether or not to trust or, or not to trust the Lord in what the word that was given in terms of the direction that they were supposed to go in. We do this all the time. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And there are a lot of folks out here in our community that really are gripped with this kind of religious idea that says, You know what? If I just do good and I treat people the right way and I, I pay my taxes and I'm honest on my deductions uh, and, and I live right and I'm good to my wife and I don't abuse people or, or verbally or physically in any kind of way and, and you know I'm really a pretty good person and we start to think that you know what we, we're going to get to the end and God's going to say hey listen it's great you're a good guy but you realize that God's requirement is so much greater than just being a pretty halfway decent good guy his standard is perfection and we can't say, well, look, God, I did pretty good keeping these laws. Now, you know, I did break it here or there. And Lord knows I, I wrestle with thoughts. And when we try to whittle down and we have a low view of God's law, we end up becoming legalists and we start to think that we actually can keep it in order to save us. And as I've already said in this message, the law of God was never given for the purpose of saving people because they were already saved in the covenant, saved by the blood, the water, and the Spirit. But it was meant as a tool to show them how they were to build a society in this new promised land in which they were headed. Now this is what I want you to grab. This is such an important principle right here after point two. It's there in your notes in italics. It says direction, not intention, determines destination. Look at your notes there and read it out loud with me. Here we go. Direction, not intention, determines destination. What does that mean? I can intend to go to Nashville, but if I get on the road going north on 55, my direction is going to determine where I'm going to end up. The direction and the path that I'm traveling, the path of life that I've chosen in my career, in my marriage, in my finances, in my spiritual walk with God, all of these things that matter. And this is so much gospel-centered this morning. Because this, the gospel has an implication in terms of how I live my life in all of these areas. Many times we're on different paths in all of these places where we may be building a good marriage, but we're on a bad path financially because of decisions that we're making. Or we may be on a great path in the career, but we're really rotten when it comes to raising good godly kids that are champions because, you know what, we're spending 80, 90 hours a week at work and our children don't have a dad or a mom at home. And you know what? We're going to reap the fruit of that if we don't stop and go, i got to get off this path. Yes, career is important, but it's not everything. Somebody say amen. So direction, not intention, determines our destination. Where we are headed is not, doesn't, it has so much less to do with where you want to be and where you intend to be. 
You know, you, you spend your whole life never preparing for retirement and you turn around and you go, okay, there is no nest egg. Well, that's because of the decisions that you made for 40 years. Now, that's a little bit hard, but we need to wake up and smell the coffee, saints, when it comes to decisions that we're making every day and we get in the habit of making them on a continuous basis because we're on a path sometimes and don't even know we're on a path. We're headed in a certain direction. All right, number three, point number three, daily decisions are like landmarks on the path that I'm traveling. Daily decisions are like landmarks that are on the path that I'm traveling. You will remember the story in Numbers 13 when God told the children of Israel, I want you to go into this new land. I want you to take one man who will be a spy as a representative from each of these 12 tribes. You march into this new amazing promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. And he says, I'm going to literally go before you. I'll literally wipe them out. Their hearts will melt if you will rise up in faith and do as I say. Somewhere along the way, they go over and one man from each tribe, 12 in all, are all excited about what they're seeing and they're bringing back the produce and the fruit and the the grapes that they're carrying on a pole, but they also see walled cities and they see giants. And those who don't have faith look at the problem, look at the circumstances and lose the original word which God said, I'm going to go before you and help you possess this land. And somewhere along the way, they got a majority report that began to work and say, guys, we need to really run some feasibility tests. We need to do some statistical studies here. Let's see if we're able to go in and possess this land. How many of you know God didn't tell them to go run a feasibility study? He told them to have faith. They never did from the outset have the ability to possess the land themselves. And they got the whole thing cattywampus, as we say in the South, completely turned around, uh, completely, out, completely out of sync, and they start thinking, what do we need to be able to accomplish this? Oh, we are deficient. We can't. So they come back with the fruit of the land that God had promised them, the land flowing with milk and honey, and ten of these guys joined together on the elder board on the deacon board. And they come back and they tell everybody, hey, listen, this, this is not possible. We can't do this. All we saw were giants and we saw wall cities and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And that was the problem right there was their own perception or perspective of themselves because they'd lost the perspective of the greatness of God and they'd started looking at their own ability. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching real good right now. So they come down. Ten of them are saying we can't do it and they bring a bad report. And you know the story in Numbers chapter 13. Two of them stand up and it's Joshua and Caleb and they attempt to steal the voice of the people and and, and said, hush, this is not right. Stand still. We are well able to go up and possess this land. And because the majority came with an evil report, this is what happens. Listen, in Numbers chapter 14, two verses, 34 and 35, they argue over it. They realize that when God speaks judgment... When God says, no, it's too late, you've chosen to look at your own ability instead of trusting in my ability, which is the definition of biblical responsibility. It's my response to God's ability. My response to God's ability is looking at His word of promise that says He will take me in to do something that I can't do by myself. Are you there? Look with me. Here we go. Numbers 14, 34, 35 says it this way. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, 
a year for each day. You shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. God says, not a one of you who got delivered out of Egypt are going to be able to even step foot into the promised land. You're going to die along the way. I'm going to wait. I've got plenty of time, God says. I'm going to wait till all of you unbelieving, unfaithful, non-trusting folks die and they bury you in the sand of the wilderness until your children go in. This is the message of the song today. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? When are we going to arise and take hold of the promises of God for the kingdom of God to be here in the Delta, in the Mid-South? We, he says, God says, quit shaking your fist at me and saying do something. He says, I've already done something. I created you and you're called to do it. Yet... That generation refused to take that responsibility and they died. And only, the, only two original folks who left Egypt got to go into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. And this is the word of the Lord to us today. I want you to recognize for 40 years they start to travel in circles. They're seeing territory that they've been this way before over and over. They're traveling around the mountain. Listen to me. This is so powerful. If you feel like you're looking around the, the spiritual horizon of your life and you're encountering a problem that you've encountered over and over, circular travel is the judgment of God. When you're going in circles and you're having to repeat the third grade in your spiritual journey over and over and over and over again, guess what? It means you didn't get it the first time. And God doesn't do social promotion in the kingdom of God. Well, he's getting pretty big back there, a lot bigger than all these other third graders, my 19-year-old back there. I've got to go ahead and put him in the fourth grade. <laughs> How many of you know God doesn't work the way the American public school system works? And we just sort of wink and send him on. He says, no, I'm going to give you a chance to travel that mountain again. You're going to experience what it means to... Learn how to bless when others are blessed and not be jealous and coveting when you're in a place of lack and your brothers and sisters are in a place of blessing because they've worked or they've trusted me. They've, they've, they've walked in faith. And so we get a chance to experience these things again. When, when my life starts looking like, oh, spiritual deja vu, I've been here before, this territory looks familiar, you need to back up and go, okay, God, help me to get out of this circular place. Samson, Samson told his secret and he ends up being captured. And guess what he did? He was tied to a gristmill and he was walking in circles for months and months until his hair grew back out again. Don't have time to stop and preach the story of Samson who defeated more Philistines in his death than he had done in his whole life previously. God has a way to redeem bad decisions. But all the time we have wasted walking in circular paths of judgment because we can't seem to manage to get a hold of. We're on a path and we keep veering off of it and we have to experience this thing one more time because of the decision that I've made along the way is affecting my direction. Man, I'm preaching good this morning. Are you hearing me? Look at this. I love this. I don't remember if I put this in your message notes or not, but it was a Theodore Roosevelt, one of my favorites. He said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. That's the truth. That's my issue. That's your issue. Last point, and I'm finished this morning. Number four, a different destination will always require a different direction. A different destination will always require a different 
direction. Forty years of wandering in circular formation. We wonder sometimes where we feel like we're just going around in circles. Now let me say this. In our culture, especially in the Bible Belt South, the word judgment has complete negative connotations and it's always with the idea of punishment. And that is completely wrong. Because when the judgment of God comes in your life as a believer, it is not to punish you, it's to set things right. It is, it is what the Bible calls in Matthew chapter 12, judgment unto victory. God is doing something to teach you, to train you. Discipline that is poured out upon those whom the Lord loves. If you are not experiencing the discipline of the Lord, and I'll, the King James says you're bastards and not sons. The newer translation says you're illegitimate children. And you're not the sons of the Lord. But if you're, a, if you're a son and daughter of God, you experience discipline once in a while. And that discipline is not punitive. That discipline is to set things aright, to break you out of your patterns of circular living, going around the mountain one more time with bad financial decisions, bad relationships. Here goes another marriage. It's down the drain. Another job. You know what? When you lose five or six jobs, maybe you need to back up and go, maybe it's not all the jobs problem. Maybe I'm a bad employee. Don't shout me down. Or I keep getting hurt at all these churches. Well, guess what? Maybe it's not all the churches. Maybe it's not every bad pastor in town. Maybe, maybe you're just not a good sheep. I'm just, I don't quit preaching and started meddling now. Come on, when we experience the same stuff over and over again, it's because we need to change. I need to change. My life is it is where it is because of the decisions that I have made. If I kicked the guy in the seat of the pants who caused the trouble, I would not sit down for a month. I have to take personal responsibility. Listen to this, Joshua chapter 3. A new leader arises to take the children of Israel into the promised land to get them off of the path of circularity, to get them to bring judgment of the Lord, to set things right, okay, and he says in Joshua chapter 3, this is the direction that came. He says, I'm going to send you in to possess the land that all the way back to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, the priests of the Lord are going to step into the Jordan River and they're going to carry the ark of God. The ark is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ who is the presence of God, the manifest presence, Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, yet there shall be a distance between you and it. He says, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Ooh. This is, you're going to see some land you've never seen before. Spiritual growth starts to happen in your life when you look around and you go, I've never been this way. You go, man, this is exciting. There, there is no spiritual deja vu. You've broken out of the circularity of a path of having to repeat a lesson in the kingdom of God. And you're all of a sudden seeing something that you've never seen. And he says, guess what? I, I, the, the, the ark is going to step into the river and you're going to watch that ark because where that ark goes, you go where that ark goes. Where Jesus takes his steps, you watch him following Jesus' footsteps because you are going to walk a path that you have never passed before. Oh, I love that. Listen, spiritual growth means covering new territory, recognizing you've never passed this way before. As I close this message this morning, I want to tell you that every one of us has an opportunity. We're at a gate. We're at a gate today. I, 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 
I remember in college, my first year, making friends with a number of guys, and we took a road trip. And we headed up into the northwest corner of the state, and we're going to camp. And, and every one of us, everybody in the, in the car were Christian brothers. And we'd all been in Bible study together. And, and we're all headed in the right directions, seemingly, from the outset of this whole thing. And it, pursuing a degree, and I knew then I was going to be in the ministry, and another guy was going to go to pharmacy school, another guy, just different, different paths they were choosing to take, but they were all Christians. And a number of years later, I saw, not all at the same time, but over a period of a year, saw each of those different guys, and I saw what life had brought to them and some choices that had been made along the way, and it broke my heart. And, and I always have told my children about this. I said, you know what, when you graduate high school, it looks like you guys have just been sort of traveling the same path to walking across the stage and getting a piece of paper, a diploma, but you're about to see a huge divergence, a huge diversity in terms of some who choose to immediately move into a career, those that choose to continue their education, and I don't think it's necessarily one better than another, because there are a lot of people who don't have college degrees that are extremely successful, okay? So I'm not, for one second, because I do believe in education, I'm not promoting the idea that that makes anybody better than anyone else, but they're all choices. That's all a path, okay? And then along the way, I said, you know what? You're going to see some of your friends get married, and before you know it, they're going to be divorced and have two children and already one down the drain. And I said, it's because of decisions they make along the way. I told both of my children every time they would go out as teenagers and we would pray over them, I would say, I would remind them of three initials, MGD. And my, my son Drew was just a typical redneck, brown boot wearing hunting boy, you know, playing sports as he was growing up. And every redneck knows MGD stands for Miller Genuine Draft. <laughs> and I wasn't telling my children when you go out, hey, go, go get you a tall one. I was saying, MGD, make good decisions. Say that with me. Make good decisions. And it was a play on it because I know what teenagers like to do. And they wanna, they're curious and they want to try things and you know, dip their finger or their toe into this or that. And the, the crazy thing is sometimes just one wrong decision can completely alter the course of a person's life. Many, many, many times... We do, and it doesn't really seem to have any kind of implication. And if it's a bad path, that's the lure of the enemy to say, well, you know, I looked at that wrong pornographic website once, and it really didn't really make that much of a difference. And so you start to think, hey, I control this, and you keep going down that path, and before you know it, you are habitually addicted to crack cocaine or to pornography on, on the Internet or any number of things that you can start to head down a path and before you know it, the, the, the way, there, many of everybody thinks it's a good way, the Bible says, the, that, but it ends in death. Its final destination is destruction. There is a way which seems right to man, but its end leads to death. And so this morning, I, 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 just, I just want to tell you how important it is to make MGD, make good decisions. Last scripture and I'm finished. Enter by the narrow gate, Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. It's the road definitely traveled the most. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
I cannot even begin to pretend to understand where you are right now and what you're facing. I, I would have a confidence of most of you in this room knowing Jesus Christ. And really, ultimately, that's between you and God. I can't really know that for certain. I can't be assured of your salvation no more than you can be assured of mine. Only you can have the assurance of your salvation. We're all on paths this morning. We're all making decisions. Some of us are just still in high school. Some of us are headed out. Some of us in our first year of college. Some of us in midlife. Some of us approaching retirement. We still have an opportunity to make choices and change directions. We want to go to Nashville, but we're driving north on 55. And we're going to wake up and go, I think I'm going the wrong direction. And we need to make a change. What did the Lord say to Moses, to the people? You've been on this mountain long enough. You've been sitting here waiting. You, you've, you've wandered 38 years, and they've been sitting at that mountain for two years. And the word of the Lord was, you've sat here in this place of stalling in your spiritual progression, in your journey, and you've been on this mountain, in this place, long enough. Turn and take your journey. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. There's some of you in a place where I am talking right down into the very core of your heart. You've sat in a place stalled out long enough and the Spirit of God is saying to you right now, turn and take your journey. You don't need a solution. You need a new direction. You have to turn. You have to repent. You have to change the direction of your life. You don't have the ability to do that. It's only the grace of God that you can even know the grace of God. Because His grace is being poured out to you this morning. He's saying to you, get up. Don't stay in this place. You have dug out a rut in your life and it's death to you. A, a, a rut is nothing. A spiritual rut is nothing but a grave with both ends knocked out. God says, I want to break you out of this spiritual rut you're in. You've been in this place stuck long enough. And He says, I want to tell you, all you have to do is turn and take your journey. I don't know what your turning is, it's just very simply turning to Jesus if you've never trusted as Him as your personal Savior. It's not having to go back and take out your whole complete list of everything you've ever sinned and come down and have an outrageously emotional experience at the altar. I've been there, done that. And I've known people who've done it and got up Monday and kept doing the stuff they were doing that they repented of on Sunday night. I don't believe that's what it's about. I believe it's just simply not even focusing on turning from the past. It's just turning to God. Because when you turn to Him, you're automatically turning away from whatever's been messing you up. It's that simple. It's that easy. Turn and take your journey. Turn and get on a new path. Turn and come into this new lifestyle called the kingdom of God. The gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord right now. If you're at this place and you've never trusted Him as your personal Savior, it's very simple. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. No magic phrase. You don't have to have all of your theology outlined and understood. Oh my goodness, if salvation depended on our theology being right, none of us would be saved. It's just knowing that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you know what? Too many places we, we don't preach the greatness of His Lordship. And this morning, 
very simply by saying, Jesus, I put my life in your hands. Be Lord, be the boss, call the shots, be the king of my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed right now.